Welcome to Grading the Nutmeg, the podcast of Connecticut history, brought to you by the State Historian and Connecticut Explored, the magazine of Connecticut history. I'm Walt Woodward, and in this episode, Connecticut Explored editor Jennifer LaRue tags along on one of the Mark Twain House's new living history tours. What's it like to go through the celebrated American writer's Hartford mansion, trailing behind his wife Livy's lady's maid? Get out your feather duster and find out in this episode of Grading the Nutmeg. Hi, I'm Jennifer LaRue, editor of Connecticut Explored magazine. I'm here at the Mark Twain House and Museum in Hartford, Connecticut to take a special tour with Katie Leary, Olivia Clemens's longtime ladies' maid. About a dozen other people and I have gathered here for one of the museum's new Living History Tours, led by costume guides portraying members of Mark Twain's, or Samuel Clemens's household. Now on today's tour, Leary, played by Betsy McGuire, will take us through the house, sharing her own experiences and observations about life with the Clemens family along the way. Other tours are led by Lizzie Wills, the gossipy housemaid, and by Olivia Clemens herself, Mark Twain's beloved wife. Now, part of the fun of these tours is that the guides can only talk from the point of view of the person they represent, so they don't know things that happened after their time. So, for instance, when a visitor asks a question about Frank Lloyd Wright, Katie Leary is puzzled and asks whether Mr. Wright might be a guest who will be visiting later. Listeners should also be aware that the living history characters might use terms that, while potentially offensive to us today, were commonly used in the 19th century. So, when Katie Leary makes reference to the family butler as being colored, we have to remember that she speaks in the parlance of her day, not ours. Oh, hey, it looks like we're about to get started. Come on, let's go. Well, I wasn't telling any lies, was I? No. House of enchantment. Now, in case you were hoping to meet Mr. Clemens today or members of his family, I'm afraid I'm going to have to disappoint you. You see, he lived in this house for 17 years with his wife and his three daughters. But for the past few years, the Clemens family has been in Europe, London mostly. I'll tell you why later. But don't worry, the house still looks the same today as it did all those years I was in it with them. Now, when I first came to work here, I was green as a monkey. Hardly ever been outside my own hometown of Elmira, New York. I came to Hartford on a train, and I took a carriage to 351 Farmington Avenue. Mark Twain's house, I said to the carriage driver. I was so excited, I walked up to this big chestnut door, and I knocked as loud as I could. I think I expected a big brass band to meet me. But the door opened, and who was standing there but a colored boy? He looked as surprised to see me as I did to see him. (laughs) Turns out, I was at the front door, not the servant door. Also turns out, Mr. Clemens built his front door on the side of the house and his servant door on the front of the house. (laughs) Well, that should have been my clue there that life here wouldn't be boring. (laughs) Now, what do you think about the decoration in this hall? It's fancy, isn't it? About a year after I came to work here, this family hired Mr. Lewis Comfort Tiffany and his associated artists, and they came and they stenciled all of that silver paint on the walls and the ceilings and under the stairs. One of my jobs when the Clemens family was here was to turn up those gas jets that you see on the walls and on the stairway. And when those lights would flicker off the metal in the paint, this whole hallway sparkled and shimmered in the gaslight. 
Someone called it a shimmering marvel. Took your breath away. It did. So many like Frank Lloyd Wright touches, but I know that he was later. Is this just a pre? I don't know Frank Lloyd Wright. <laughs> <laughs> is, he, is he coming later? <laughs> now this is Mrs. Clemens' favorite room, and there she is, right there. Take a good look. That's Olivia Langdon Clemens of Elmira, New York, my hometown too. I remember interviewing for the job of ladies' maid so many years ago in Elmira, New York. I was so excited. I sat in her mother's parlor, and I couldn't keep still. I was so nervous. Well, in walks this wonderful woman, Mrs. Clemens, and beautiful, too. And she had a beautiful manner. She looked right at me, and she said, why, this is Katie Leary. Would you like to come live with me in Hartford? Oh, yes, I said. Yes, I would. <laughs> you know, I think I mentioned I've never been married. And some people feel sorry for me not having family. But I always say the Clemenses are my family. They're just as much my family as if I'd been born into them. Have you been looking at the piano at all? It's beautiful, isn't it? A Steinway. All the girls play, and Mr. and Mrs. Clemens too. Clara got in her head once that she was going to teach the servant staff to play the piano. So she tried to teach George and I to play, George the butler who I mentioned before. But we didn't get very far. He was too busy being a butler and, well, I never got past all those pesky scales. But she used to say to me, Katie, what I wouldn't give for that great big stretch you have in your hand. That's a whole octave. Right there. <laughs> That's about as far as I got. <laughs> now, go to the dining room. Talk about their social life a little bit. Now, as I'm talking about the dining room, I want you to feel free to walk around and especially go behind the screen and sort of take turns peeking into George Griffin's butler pantry. Remember, he's the butler in the house, and if he were here, he would brag that this is the finest room in the house. I don't know about that, but it is handsome. Now, Mr. and Mrs. Clemens would throw the most stylish dinner parties you ever saw before or since. George was always so elegant in his dress and manner, and there were more than 12 at the table. I helped serve two. We'd start with the soup, of course, and then we'd have uh, roast uh, filet of beef or duck, and then lovely accompaniments like mashed chestnuts. There'd be a course of wine, cigars, and champagne, and sherry, and Oh, the desserts were just the most elegant things you've ever seen. Charlotte Roos cake, which was Mr. Clemens' favorite. Or sometimes the cook would make these little ice cream molds, these little ice cream treats shaped like angels or cherubs. And oh my, when we served those up, the guests were just delighted. Now, a lot of famous people came to eat here. Let's see. There was Mr. Charles Dudley Warner. Well, he and Mr. Clemens wrote a book together called The Gilded Age. And William Dean Howells of the Atlantic Monthly and the Reverend Joseph Twitchell of the Asylum Hill Congregational Church. It's just a couple blocks away from here. He was Mr. Clemens' good friend. The girls called him Uncle Joe. <laughs> oh, and famous actors came here too. Edwin Booth and Lawrence Barrett, Henry Irving. Oh, and don't even get me started about that. Uh, William Gillette, I am crazy for him. I think he's just about the most handsome man I've ever seen. Now, during these parties, this was Mr. Clemens' chair. But during the parties, he would be up out of his chair, waving his napkin and talking and entertaining people around the table. He had this one story he loved to tell. It was called The Golden Arm. Do you know it? 
It's a spooky tale he learned when he was a very young boy, and he could tell it like no one's business. It was about a man who dug up his wife's grave to get her golden arm, and she was so angry, she followed him around the rest of his life, chasing after him, and he could tell it real spooky. He'd start with a guest, maybe over here, and he'd say, Who's got my golden arm? And then he'd go to the next guest and get a little louder. Who's got my golden arm? And of course the lights are low and nobody's knowing what's going to happen. Who's got my golden arm? And then he'd turn to someone and say, You've got it! And everybody would jump and there was more than one glass of wine spilled during those parties. <laughs> oh. You know, I always say Mr. and Mrs. Clemens both had beautiful views when they sat down here. Mr. Clemens got to look to the outside. If you notice, that's another diverted flue in a window mm -hmm. over that fireplace. And especially in the wintertime, mm -hmm. when the snowflakes would come down and meet the flames in the middle, he had a lovely view. But of course, Mrs. Clemens had the view she would have most wanted, right into her beautiful conservatory. Come in here. We can take a look at this what room. What is this building over here? Yes, that is the servant wing. Remember I said he built the servant wing on the front of the house? And we're going to go in there, too. We'll go in there uh, towards the end of the tour. Yeah? It's all attached. So if you went through that door right there, you'd walk right into the kitchen. And that's where you you live in there? Uh, yes, we work in there. Yes, most of the servants don't live here. After dinner, Mr. Clemens and his family would set about the great open fireplace and he'd read to his girls Dickens or Browning or, or even one of his own. I once heard him laughing at something he was reading to his daughters and when Mrs. Clemens came through, she asked him what it was and he admitted it was one of his own. <laughs> one winter, I remember Jean, his youngest daughter, was very sick and he put her up on his lap and read Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn to her. And if I were in here cleaning up, I'd make what I had to do last a good long time so I could hear those stories too. <laughs> now some of you are admiring Mrs. Clemens beautiful conservatory. That is her pride and joy. It's pretty, isn't it? She once told me that the semicircular pattern of that conservatory was invented and made popular by Mrs. Harriet Beecher Stowe. She said a lot of the homes in the Swift Farm neighborhood have that exact conservatory. And speaking of Mrs. Stowe, you know, she loved flowers and she liked roses best of all. So she would come over here, mostly toward the end of her life, and she would help herself to the Clemens roses. <laughs> well, she'd snap them right off. This here is Susie's room. Remember, she's the oldest girl. You can see, I remember I said she was a writer. You can see her little lady blueprint desk in there. That's where she'd sit and she'd write all those stories and tales about her father and her family. Oh, such promise she had. You know, life here in this house just rolled on like smooth seas. Wasn't a thing for so many years, not a bit of sadness. And then, well, I'm not ready to talk about the sad parts yet. Let's go into the master bedroom. I don't think they Want to meet Katie Leader yourself and hear more of her stories? Well, make your way to Mark Twain's house and sign up for a living history tour. They cost a tiny bit more than the museum's regular house tours, and they're offered on a limited basis at various times throughout the week. To learn more or to register, visit marktwainhouse.org or call 860-247-0998. The Mark Twain House isn't the only Airing Museum that offers living history tours. Coming up on June 11th and 12th, to coincide with Connecticut Open House Day, 
The Windsor Historical Society offers At Home with the Howards, Captain Nathaniel and Anne Howard welcome you to their 1810 home and introduce you to their cousins Anna and Samuel Bartlett, who are helping them prepare for an upcoming family meal. The Windsor Historical Society has furnished the house with reproductions, so this is one museum tour where you can touch everything and participate in hands-on activities. You could make yourself at home, poke around and see what's inside Anne's high chest, or sneak a quick nap on their comfy four-poster canopy bed. Anna Bartlett, the acknowledged cook in the extended family, may ask you for help in preparing dinner and share kitchen tips and recipes, while Samuel is likely to invite you to join in a game of cards or dice. This is a tour you can enjoy at your own pace, immersing yourself in the past and asking lots of questions. But like the Twain House tour with Katie Leary, don't be surprised if you get a puzzled look in response to your 21st century question. For more information, visit the Windsor Historical Society's website at windsorhistoricalsociety.org or call 860-688-3813. These tours are offered now and again, so if you miss the tours on June 11th and 12th, inquire about future dates. Next up, Connecticut Explorer's publisher Elizabeth Norman smells the lilacs at the Florence Griswold Museum. This is Elizabeth Norman for Connecticut Explored. I'm here on the banks of the Lieutenant River in Old Lyme visiting the Florence Griswold Museum, the home of American Impressionism. Once a sea captain's estate, this property became the rural retreat for the painters of the Lyme art colony during the early 20th century. Florence Griswold, the sea captain's youngest child, opened her family home to scores of American artists and in doing so fostered a remarkable chapter in the nation's art and history. The Florence Griswold Museum is a wonderful place to meet, not only for the museum and the historic house, but also this time of year for a visit to the gardens on the grounds. It's just a beautiful spot, and I'm here to take a little walk through and also to take a look at the current exhibition, 1040, which celebrates the 40th anniversary of Jeffrey Anderson's uh, directorship of the museum and the 10th anniversary of their curator, Amy Kurt Lansing. Lots is going on here today. The garden gang is here, volunteers who take care of the gardens, and lots of school groups. I see backpacks here and there. The gardens, they have a kitchen garden, I guess I would call it, with both vegetables and herbs in it, as well as perennials. Incredibly well tended. Do not see a single weed. Beautiful purple irises. All the, the springtime flowers, the lilacs are in bloom. The peonies are coming out and will be blooming in a few weeks, early in June. The dogwoods are in bloom. I've come inside the gallery to see 1040, and right off I'm pleasantly surprised by a selection of modern and contemporary works. It's not that I don't love the Connecticut Impressionists, because I do, and I see some showstoppers in the next gallery. But I was curious as to the scope of the museum's collecting, and the wall label confirms that the museum has worked to add new voices to its collection. It's paid particular attention to Connecticut's art schools, Yale, of course, but I'm also pleased to see a work by Power Booth, the former dean of the Hartford Art School. The Hartford Art School, part of the University of Hartford, was founded in 1878 by a group of prominent Hartford women, and you can read about it in an article I wrote in the summer 2003 issue, An Art School Forged in the Gilded Age. The art school remains a vibrant and important art school nationally. Next to Booth's work is one by Sybil Wilson called Black and White, circa 1970. 
She represents the Yale contingent. She first studied weaving with Annie Albers before studying with Joseph Albers at Yale. The Albers were refugees from Nazi Germany, and Joseph began teaching at Yale in 1950. Wilson's painting shows the influence of both Annie and Joseph. She was inspired by the way strips of canvas will curl at the edges. She layered them over a flat canvas painted in stripes of black and white so that the strips both cover and reveal where the strips have curled over up on themselves the black and white stripes underneath. She's enhanced this effect by painting the back of the strips gray, which creates graceful gray-lined convex and concave curves along the top and bottom edges of each strip. The painting is both graphic and tactile with unexpected dimension and a nod to pop art. But the museum has not only looked forward from Miss Florence's day, but back as well. One of my favorites is a miniature portrait by Phoebe Griffin Noyes of her mother, Phoebe Griffin Lord, circa 1820. The label notes that the widow Lord managed a large farm, raised eight daughters, and ran a private school, affirming my assertion the women have always worked and done amazing things. An incredible acquisition on view on an iPad is a silent film circa 1934 acquired at auction some years ago that shows Florence Griswold herself and artists at work. The show is a wonderful tribute to Jeffrey Anderson, both the present curator Amy Kurt Lansing and past curators, and many donors and patrons who have raised the profile of the museum to become a significant collection of American art built on the legacy of Florence Griswold. We certainly are fortunate to have such a wonderful institution and collection here in Connecticut. 1040, Collecting American Art at the Florence Griswold Museum, is on view through May 29th. But if you've missed it, come see their summer 2016 show opening June 3rd, The Artist's Garden, American Impressionism and the Garden Movement, 1887 to 1920. Organized by the Pennsylvania Academy of Fine Arts, this is its only stop in New England. For more information, visit florencegriswoldmuseum.org. And while you're there, visit the museum shop and pick up a copy of the summer issue of Connecticut Explored. Our summer issue is on the theme, Small Towns, Big Stories. Thanks for listening. We wish to thank Betsy McGuire, the Mark Twain House, and the Florence Griswold Museum. For more information on Connecticut Open House Day, June 11, 2016, visit ctvisit.com. On that day, hundreds of museums, galleries, and historical societies in towns and cities across Connecticut will open their doors and welcome visitors with discounted or free admission, giveaways, special offers, hands-on activities for the kids, and more. In the next episode of Grading the Nutmeg, stories from the summer issue of Connecticut Explored, the magazine of Connecticut history, on the theme Small Towns, Big Stories. And I'll take you on a visit to one of the happiest and most historic places in Connecticut, the 275-year-old Lyman Orchards in Middlefield. To read stories featured in Grading the Nutmeg and to subscribe to Connecticut Explored or purchase the current or a back issue, visit ctexplored.org.